it's a new day. Hear his word, let us pray. The sunrise morning show. Hey, a way to start your day. It is Wednesday, the 6th of December. It is the Feast of St. Nicholas. Let's pray a prayer for his intercession, a litany, in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. St. Nicholas, faithful disciple of Jesus Christ, pray for us. St. Nicholas, example of Christian love, pray for us. St. Nicholas, helper of the poor and needy, pray for us. St. Nicholas, champion of orphans and widows, pray for us. St. Nicholas, protector of those who sail at sea, pray for us. St. Nicholas, Defender of the True Faith, pray for us. St. Nicholas, Patron of Children Around the World, pray for us. St. Nicholas, Secret Giver of Gifts, pray for us. St. Nicholas, the Great Wonder Worker, pray for us. St. Nicholas, our friend in heaven, pray for us. Amen. That's a better way to start a St. Nicholas Day. It's uh, kind of a little biography of St. Nicholas packed into a litany. It is the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for being along on a Wednesday morning. I'm Matt Swaim. Anna Mitchell has news. Paul Lockman at the controls. Travis has a camera up and running. And uh, there are some serious reasons that you'll be, you'll be wanting to tune into our video feed at various points today. You can lock into that uh, in the show notes at sunrisemorningshow.com. Up this hour, Father Sebastian Walsh will be along. He's got some great thoughts on helping your loved ones who have walked away from the faith to maybe reconsider uh, aspects of that faith. Father Rob Jack will talk about uh, some of the readings we see in Isaiah during this season of Advent. Uh, Speaking of Bible verses, Gary Zimak is going to discuss the most famous Bible verse probably in the world and how it connects to Advent. So all that and who knows what else might happen through the course of a morning. Right now it is two minutes past. Here's Anna Mitchell with news. Good morning. The U.S. is imposing visa bans on people involved in violence in the West Bank. The bans that began Tuesday followed a number of appeals to Israel to do more to stop violence by Jewish settlers. President Biden and other senior administration officials have repeatedly warned Israel to stop settlers from committing violence against Palestinians in the occupied West Bank. That violence has surged in recent months as settlements have expanded and spiked again since Hamas carried out the series of attacks on Israel on October 7th. In Washington, Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville has ended his hold on some military promotions despite no change in the Pentagon's abortion policy. Mark Mayfield reports. The Republican senator told reporters on Tuesday he'll only block military promotions for four-star generals and other officers. This comes after Tuberville's months-long effort had delayed the confirmation of hundreds of nominees. The holds were in protest of the Pentagon's policy to reimburse service members who travel out of state seeking an abortion. I'm Mark Mayfield. The latest in the front over abortion is a push in states like Texas to ban abortion traffickers from driving pregnant women to another state where abortion is legal. Associate Attorney General Vanita Gupta says they plan to fight this in court. There are now four counties in Texas that have passed ordinances making it illegal to travel on their roads while seeking an abortion. They would all be enforced through private lawsuits and the measures would not punish the mothers. 
New York's Governor Kathy Hochul is announcing a special election to replace ousted Republican Long Island Congressman George Santos. It's set to be held on Tuesday, February 13th of next year. Meanwhile, the race to replace Santos is already underway. Chairman of the Nassau County Republican Committee, Joseph Cairo, says they're trying to avoid another Santos fiasco by closely examining potential candidates' credentials. Both parties need to present a candidate for a special election. Democrats are expected to announce their selection this week. The late Justice Sandra Day O'Connor will lie in repose in the Great Hall of the Supreme Court on December 18th. Brian Shook has more. According to a press release from the high court, the public can pay respects that Monday. A private ceremony at the Supreme Court will begin at 9.30 a.m., after which the doors will open to the public. Retired Justice O'Connor's funeral service will be celebrated the next day at the National Cathedral by invitation only. I'm Brian Shook. Pope Francis will offer a golden rose to Our Lady to mark the Feast of the Immaculate Conception at the end of this week. He'll head to the Basilica of St. Mary Major to place it before the icon of the Salus Papali Romani. Vatican News reports he will be the first pope to make such a gesture in about 400 years. Later in the day, he'll make the traditional papal pilgrimage to the Piazza di Spagna to venerate the statue of the Immaculate Conception there. And Major League Baseball's winter meetings were headlined by a shocking draft lottery result yesterday. The Cleveland Guardians leapfrogged eight teams to earn the top overall pick in July, despite having just a 2% chance at earning that number one spot. In other news, Dodgers manager Dave Roberts said the team has already met with free agent phenom Shohei Otani and said the two-way superstar is L.A.'s top priority. Oh, man. You know who's going to be very upset about this. Ryan Lopez. our boy, Ryan Lopez. Ryan Lopez. Yeah. Who does development for Sacred Heart Radio and the Sunrise Morning Show. You know, why did you have to – you know, today is our pledge drive for Sacred Heart Radio. Uh It's going to really kick off once we hit our 7 o'clock hour today. And you just took all the oomph out of poor Ryan's, like – Drive to raise money. Well, hopefully he's not awake yet. You know, what's funny is that He'll probably be here in about an hour. You know, I was writing up some notes for our our pledge drive that we're doing. Our goal is $60,000, and I'm just, like, trying to envision (laughs) how many payments of $60,000 Shohei would be able to make to us based on whatever contract the Dodgers are able to (laughs) I know, right? Like, the Dodgers are like, oh, Freddie Freeman's amazing. You know what? We should just buy him. Albert Pujols is made. We should just buy that guy. Let's just buy him. Let's just buy him. There are any Major League Baseball players listening right now? Just want to wipe out the sixty thousand dollars before we even start today in one fell swoop. That would be amazing. We need to get some of these athletes involved in some of these local Catholic radio stations. Some of them, I know. Whenever you hear these football games and whatever, they're like hailing from someplace you've never heard of in. Whatever town. I'm like, you know, I've heard of that. There's a Catholic radio station there. How cool would it be? How cool would it be if one like professional athlete sponsored one like some North Dakota athlete was just like knocked on the door of Real Presence Radio and was like, hey, I'm from here. I don't like you guys. There you go. Let me help you with the pledge drive. As Agnes likes to say, here you go. Here you go. Here you go. Well, you can give to us at sunrisemorningshow.com. Click donate. Please support your local Catholic radio station, especially any baseball players, football players listening this morning. It's eight minutes past the hour. 
The Sunrise Morning Show continues. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Father Sebastian Walsh. He's the author of a couple of different books, but the one we've been going through with him is called The Heart of the Gospel. We've been looking at the Beatitudes. Father, good morning. Good morning, Matt. How are you? I'm doing well, although I, if I understand correctly, I'll be doing better in the next life. Uh, that being <laughs> said, uh, when Jesus talks about happiness and blessedness, how much of what he's saying applies to how life is going to work out here if we follow those instructions, and how much of it is just saying, well, it's going to be terrible for now, but trust me, heaven is great. Like, <laughs> how, do, how do we parse out which, which things those promises are for, this life or yeah. the next? Sure. Well, if you read those Beatitudes carefully, you notice that each Beatitude contains a, a condition for merit and then a promised reward. And the first and the last Beatitude give that reward in the present tense. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then those who are persecuted, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They're promised, interestingly, the same reward, at least verbally, and it's in the present tense. But all the others in between, the promise is about a future reward. So Jesus is obviously saying in some way it's present, in some way it's future. Okay, And, and Jesus himself said at one point, the kingdom of heaven is among you. He's already That beginning of the kingdom of heaven has already started here on earth in some way. But the key to understanding the way in which the Beatitudes are present and future is the theological virtue of hope. Hope has an amazing power, and the power of hope is to bring future joy into the present. And I'll give you, um, I'll give you one simple example. I give two in my book, but one, one kind of, you know, uh, an example a lot of people have experienced. So let's say you've got this young woman. She is at work and having a bad day, and she makes a bunch of mistakes. Her boss is mad at her. She's having a bad hair day, you know, and her boyfriend calls and says, hey, do you want to grab some dinner tonight? So she goes to dinner, and she's just about ready to let him know all about the problems of her day. And he kneels down, produces a diamond ring, and asks her to marry him. In that moment, all of her sorrows are like nothing. And she's filled with joy. A lot of women report that they had more joy on the day of their engagement than on their wedding day. Can you imagine? And that wedding might be more than a year away. But what does she have? She has hope in the word of a fickle young man. <laughs> but nevertheless, Well, the that whole hope's world enough. looks differently, right, from that moment yeah. forward because of, of what's, what, what lies ahead. You know, that is an interesting way to look at it. But, uh, you know... I also think, you know, I was just having this conversation with a couple of my friends who are former Protestant pastors, and we were talking about, you know, some of the messaging that goes along with with certain strains of, of Protestant theology that would say, you know, the world is bad, it's not our home, you know, we're going to be miserable down here, uh, mm-hmm. we just got to slog through because our real home is on the other side of this, we don't really have a home here. When in fact, the Catholic Church would say, yes, you do have a home here, uh, it's the church, right? In some ways, mm-hmm. the church is this beautiful, amazing gift that we have now that will be fully realized, well, at the wedding feast of the Lamb. I mean, yeah. the church is kind of that that image of the engagement and the marriage all in like this massive cosmic way. Yeah. Well, Christian mysticism is really that beginning of eternal life here below. And as I mentioned before, if you have that theological virtue of hope, already the goods of heaven start to become active and present in your heart now, so that you're already, by hope, experiencing this great joy, this tremendous joy. And, and that's, at the same time, 
able to, to happen with the afflictions of this world. You know, St. Paul talks about that. St. Peter talks about that. This sense of simultaneously um, experiencing the joys of heaven, this beautiful, you know, uh, counsel and lives of the saints and how they feel like they were so close to heaven, there's only just a thin veil separating us from God, you know. But at the same time, experiencing bodily suffering and persecution and everything else that the, the Beatitudes talk about. It's just that that joy in that higher part of our soul is so dominant that it becomes the, um, the central um, principle of action in our life. So the Christian, as St. Paul says, rejoices always, even in this life. St. Paul says rejoice always, not just when you get to heaven. You know, I can't help but think as you're as you're saying that there's a psalm that that immediately kind of comes to mind, uh, where in Psalm 27 it says uh, how the last line of it is after going through all kinds of, you know, travails as the psalmist yeah. often does. It says, "I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living." Um, yeah, and I've known people who've taken that to like a oh well that means that. You know, if you just have enough faith, amazing things are just going to happen to you all the time. But in some sense, we see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living in like really little and small and grace-filled moments, kind of all over the place. Um, mm-hmm. And they all point to they all point to you know what's the fulfillment, what's the destiny. But we get those moments now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Saint Teresa of Lisieux, she said, "We have only the brief moment of this life to do good for the good God, huh? and in heaven, um, we'll we'll enjoy our reward." But we won't be able to merit anymore. This is a time for merit now. And so I remember Mother Angelica was asked whether or not she wanted to have, you know, any means to help her stay alive. She said, keep me alive as long as possible because I won't be able to gain merit except in this life. So she stayed alive, you know, using a lot of equipment and stuff like that for years, you know, because she wanted to continue to merit. And that's someone, you know, who really wanted to save souls and to draw closer to Christ in this life. And um, you see, the kingdom of heaven is already among us in that way. Well, it is uh, a fascinating thing to reflect upon. And again, uh, you know, kind of going back to this whole question that God actually wants us to be happy, right? <laughs> he actually wants yeah. our happiness and our good, uh, and that he doesn't tell us to do X, Y, and Z thing because he wants us to be miserable. It's actually the opposite. <laughs> so, Yeah. Um, the human heart is counterintuitive. It works the opposite way than you think it will. Right, so you think you think that riches are going to make you happy, and the Lord says, "No, giving up everything and following me is going to make you happier." Well, the book is called "The Heart of the Gospel: How the Beatitudes Show Us God's Plan for Happiness." It's by Father Sebastian Walsh. Father, thank you as always. Have a wonderful day. Sure thing. God bless you, Matt, and God bless all your listeners. All right, quarter past. We're back with headlines after this. Support is for MediShare. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For many families, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. But what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the member satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. MediShare is a proven thing, too. For over 30 years, it's a Christian community of more than 400,000 members. And here's the thing, too. If you join before December 15th and you mention the promo code SHARE, you'll get another $150 savings. So 
I'll give you the number here in a second, but just call. You'll get a price within two minutes. And remember, the deadline is December 15th. So call now and you'll save even more. Here's the number, 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE, 844-55-BIBLE. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. One of the reasons we should go to Mass is because it is the food of the saints that we receive. And for the saints, they understood rightly that the time after Holy Communion, that those moments are the most precious moments of our lives. The Holy Sacrifice of the Mass, live from the EWTN Chapel, every morning, 8 Eastern, on EWTN Radio and Television. 17 minutes past the hour. Here's Anna with headlines. Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville is now lifting his blockade on some military promotions despite no change in the Pentagon's abortion policy. The Vatican will unveil a life-size crash this coming weekend to celebrate the 800th anniversary of the nativity scene tradition and the Holy Father on Friday to mark the feast of Our Lady of the Immaculate Conception will offer a golden rose to Our Lady and St. Mary Major. Wow. So uh, I need to look more into this tradition of the golden rose. Well, this is so interesting to me. So Vatican News had a story on this. And um, it was talking about, let me pull it up here. The golden the rose. The golden rose. So this is something that has happened before like i said they they did a timeline so uh the first was gifted in 1551 by pope julius the third the next one was by pope paul the fifth in 1613 and let's see well i guess that was the last time so then wow now 400 years later more than 400 years later Pope Francis will be doing this. And wow. I was you know what I was thinking about this morning as I was as I was writing this story was how cool like it's been 400 years since the pope did this thing, you know, like how many how many denominations denominations can say that? I mean, I know Protestantism has That's been around true. for 500 years now, it's but it's actually been around a Roughly, almost exactly the same time as the Golden Rose tradition, if the Golden Rose tradition started in 1551. Yeah, isn't that crazy? It is crazy. It's crazy. So. I want to see a picture of one of these. Yeah, I don't, you know. Um, we got to find they, the Golden Rose. Yeah, we'll have to see. Maybe they they probably won't show it. I guess there are no, um, there are no traces of the ancient Golden Roses. Like, they don't exist anymore. Okay, so, so you can't what see what the original one was. Basilica retains like. no trace of the golden roses, which were probably lost during the Napoleonic invasion of the Papal States. Oh, well, that would make sense because, you know, they were looking things for gold. got looted. Yeah. Things got looted during Napoleon. Yeah. Yeah. He kidnapped a couple popes. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's a pretty cool thing. Uh, of course, Mary uh, and roses are often 
connected with one another. And if you ever have any doubt about that, just pay attention to the calendar six days from now mm-hmm. on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe, right? And the sort of shower of roses that comes forth from her tilma uh, when Juan Diego presents it. So yep. it's a great symbol for Our Lady. Of course, it's also connected to St. Therese, and, and uh, the mm-hmm. Holy Father is expressed on numerous times, including in a special letter, his affection for her. So. Yes. Well, my rosemary, Rome, well, she's known as Roma, but my rosemary was named. We've adopted Our Lady of Guadalupe as her patron as her, because of roses. As her onomastico, Mary. her name day. Exactly. Well, cool. There you go. All kinds of things about roses that you never thought that you would be mm-hmm. thinking about first thing in the morning. Well, I'm gonna, I'm, I'm excited. I'm going to look up a picture of this, Anna Mitchell. Good, yeah. See what we can – yeah, well, I don't know if they've taken any pictures of what Pope Francis has given to Our Lady, but I'm sure it's been made by now. So we'll check it out. It's 21 past. Starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. I'm Father Timothy Shear, and these are Biblical Impressions. The Pharisees appear quite frequently in the Gospels. Often they are challenged by the Lord for their attention to unimportant details. But there were Pharisees who were good and tried to become better. We know the name of one of them, Nicodemus. In the Jewish tradition, the Pharisees were challenged too. The Talmud, for example, a commentary on the Lord's Word, speaks of seven groups of Pharisees. The first of the seven groups of Pharisees are those who belong to what we might call the shoulder Pharisee. This one likes to make a display of piety. His whole motivation is on outward appearances. Then there's the wait-a-minute Pharisee, who values good deeds over people in need. There's the reckoning Pharisee, who balances one bad deed with one good deed. There's the neglectful Pharisee who puts aside some good deeds to do his favorite good deeds. There's the show-me Pharisee who will only admit failure when someone points out one of his faults. There's the fearful Pharisee of punishment from God. And last of all, and most dear to God, is the loving Pharisee. We should all strive to be the loving Pharisee. For Sacred Heart Radio, I'm Father Timothy Shear. It's 23 minutes past the hour. You're listening to the Sunrise Morning Show on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. So happy to have you along with us on this Feast of St. Nicholas. Pray for us. Father Rob Jack is host of Driving Home the Faith on Sacred Heart Radio here in Cincinnati. Good morning, Father Rob. Morning, Anna. So we are in the season of Advent now, and I was looking through the readings for uh, these next few weeks, and the first reading in the first two weeks of Advent, with very few exceptions, are from the prophet Isaiah. And it gets a little bit more varied after that in in daily mass. And and I didn't count, but 
I would say probably half or more of the first readings during the Advent season are taken from the prophet Isaiah. What is it about him that makes him so important for our preparation for the coming of Christ? Isaiah is seen almost as a pre-gospel. In other words, Mm. for us as Christians, how do we get there? And Isaiah, through the visions that he gave, that the Lord gave to him, he talks about an upcoming king. Remember, all the way back in Genesis 3.15, when Adam and Eve first sinned, God promised that a woman would give birth to a son, and though the serpent will strike at the son's heel, the son and the woman will strike and defeat the serpent's head. And that's been the promise. God will send the Messiah. And the challenge that Israel faces is the challenge we face. We're an impatient bunch, all the way from Eden, now all the way through the uh, slavery in Egypt, the forming of the kingdom of Israel, the bad kings, and uh, now all of a sudden the Lord wants to tell Israel, your king is coming, a real king, because these kings they've been having are, are really pale uh, imitations of David. They're, they're corrupt, they fall into the paganism of the time, and Israel always gets in trouble, because as soon as Israel fails to serve the Lord, they get beat up. Yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. So and and this really all comes to a head in the time that that Isaiah is prophesying, correct? That's right. And Isaiah, he's kind of an odd duck when it comes to prophets. <laughs> if if they were to offer you a job as a prophet, Anna, and you're an intelligent woman, you'd say no, not just no, but no way. Yeah. Because prophets it's just not a, a, a good life. You're going to be persecuted, you might be killed, you might be like Jeremiah thrown in the cistern. Well, Isaiah has this passage in chapter 6 where he's before the throne of God, and God wants to send somebody. And Isaiah, of course, here I am, Lord, send me. And so Isaiah now has this job, and the first person he gets to go see is the king of Judah, Ahaz. And, of course, Ahaz is not doing a good job. yeah. Oh, yeah, he's just not doing a good job. And so now uh, Ephraim, you know, the the northern kingdom, is not going to attack him with the Syrians. And he says, I'm in big trouble. But the thing is, is that he doesn't trust the Lord. Well, Isaiah has to come. And, of course, this is where we come to one of the most uh, important passages that we've heard in terms of this notion of the Messiah. He said, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord, and let it be deep as Sheol or high as the heaven. Ahaz said, I'm not going to ask and tempt the Lord. It's not because he feared the Lord, it's just that he didn't care. And so this is what Isaiah says, hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that now you must weary my God? It's like you're getting on my nerves, you know? And so the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a young woman shall conceive and bear a son. He shall call his name Emmanuel, God with us. He shall eat curds and honey, and he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. So there is the first great sign. And then we go to chapter 9, and we get a further description of this messianic king. And when you hear this, you're going to hear, and our listeners will hear something that sounds familiar, especially if you go to Midnight Mass on Christmas. And that is we hear in in verse 2, The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them a light shined. You have multiplied the nations, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you with joy. 
For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, has been broken. And he goes on, he says, This person will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. And what we then so hear is that it's clear that this Messiah is, is fulfilled from our Christian faith and through the Incarnation in Jesus Christ. He is the true Messiah, the real King. And he's just not the King of Israel. He is our universal King. And he is going to come and restore what Israel has given up, namely peace and justice and security for Israel. And how does that then extend into this day? Because, of course, when we're in the liturgy hearing these things proclaimed, they are being fulfilled in our midst right there and then at Mass. They remind us of hope, you know. We, li- we live in a world right now that hope is kind of, shall we say, a bit on the weak side. We see wars, we see exploitation, we see a lot of problems, many of which are for, uh, from our own doing, our unwillingness to serve the Lord. But God doesn't give up on us, just as he didn't give up on the people of Israel. And the Son who has been sent is our Redeemer, and he is present now. And as we recall his birth in time through Mary in, in Bethlehem, we see that, that the fulfillment of the, our life is living right now with Jesus Christ, and that in it we'll find comfort. And in it, we just when we thought everything was over, things are going to begin again. Amen. We've been talking to Father Rob Jack. I get to see Father Rob later today during our Advent Pledge Drive here on this Feast of St. Nicholas for Sacred Heart Radio in Cincinnati. Father, I'm looking forward to seeing you and the Chick-fil-A that you're bringing. Thank you. Well, well, hopefully we're going to have big shoes outside the station today so that St. <laughs> yes. Nicholas can fill them up. I know. I told listeners the other day that... Uh, They've got any gold coins they want to leave outside our doors. We're willing to take that or any major credit card. That's right. (laughs) Father Rob, thank you. See you a little bit. Half past the hour now on the Sunrise Morning Show. It's time for news. The U.S. is imposing visa bans on people involved in violence in the West Bank. The ban that began yesterday followed a number of appeals to Israel to do more to stop violence by Jewish settlers. President Biden and other senior administration officials have repeatedly warned Israel to stop settlers from committing violence against Palestinians in the occupied West Bank. That violence has surged in recent months as settlements have expanded and the violence spiked again since Hamas carried out a series of attacks inside Israel on October 7th. In Washington, Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville is lifting his hold now on some military promotions, despite no change in the Pentagon's abortion policy. Mark Mayfield has more. The Republican senator told reporters on Tuesday he'll only block military promotions for four-star generals and other officers. This comes after Tuberville's months-long effort had delayed the confirmation of hundreds of nominees. The holds were in protest of the Pentagon's policy to reimburse service members who travel out of state seeking an abortion. I'm Mark Mayfield. The U.S. says Russia rejected what it called a significant proposal to free detained Americans Evan Gerskovich and Paul Whelan. Brian Shook has more. A spokesperson for the State Department said that the new and significant proposal was made in recent weeks, adding that the refusal won't stop the U.S. from doing everything it can to bring them both home. 
Gerskovich, a Wall Street Journal reporter, has been detained for over 250 days while accused of espionage. Wayland, a former U.S. Marine, was arrested in 2018 on espionage charges as well. The U.S. considers both men wrongfully detained. I'm Brian Shook. New York Governor Kathy Hochul is announcing a special election to replace ousted Republican Long Island Congressman George Santos. It's set to be held on February 13th. Meanwhile, the race to replace Santos is already underway. Chairman of the Nassau County Republican Committee, Joseph Cairo, says they're trying to avoid another Santos fiasco by closely examining potential candidates' credentials. Both parties need to present a candidate for a special election. St. Peter's Basilica in Rome has announced two new charity projects for refugees to celebrate the 2025 Jubilee year in the church. From Vatican Radio, Joseph Tollick reports. The first of the new charity projects being organized by St. Peter's is entitled Sea Rosaries. Two individuals with refugee backgrounds are working in St. Peter's to build rosaries from the wood of boats used by migrants to reach Europe. Moreover, some initial work in the construction of these rosaries is being carried out by individuals incarcerated in various prisons throughout Italy. The other project is a collaboration with the Second Chance Association, a non-profit which works to offer employment opportunities to prisoners and ex-prisoners. One inmate of Rome's Rebibia prison has been employed full-time as an electrician in the Basilica for several months, and inmates in another prison in Viterbo have been tasked with making bags. At a press conference, Cardinal Mauro Gambetti, the Archpriest of St. Peter's Basilica, discussed the relationship between the upcoming Jubilee and the Basilica's new charity projects. Dignità di ogni persona e grandezza e bontà di Dio si fondevano in questa. According to the Mosaic Law, he said, Jubilees were to be held every 50 years in memory of the Jewish people's escape from slavery in Egypt. In ancient times, he noted, Jubilees involved freeing slaves, forgiving debts, and leaving land untilled in order to let it regenerate. These practices, the Cardinal continued, like the Basilica's new social projects, promoted a spirit of solidarity and the dream of giving everyone a second chance. Also present at the press conference today were the founders of the Second Chance Association and the House of the Spirit, as well as Giovanni Russo, the head of Italy's Department for the Administration of Prisons. All present suggested that the partnership between St. Peter's and the Second Chance Association would continue to grow, with Russo describing the employment of one electrician in St. Peter's as a first step towards an ever-deeper collaboration. I'm Joseph Tullock. Pope Francis will offer a golden rose to Our Lady to mark the Feast of the Immaculate Conception this week. He'll head to the Basilica of St. Mary Major to place it before the icon of the Salus Populi Romani. Vatican News reports he'll be the first pope to make such such a gesture in about 400 years, saying, quote, the pontiff has chosen to give a tangible sign of his devotion to the venerated icon. That's the news. It's 35 past the hour. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available, and when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug, available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. 
you can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting The Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on The Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. The Baltimore Catechism asks, What is contrition or sorrow for sin? Contrition or sorrow for sin is a hatred of sin and a true grief of the soul for having offended God with a firm purpose of sinning no more. It's true. We have to hate. It's a command of God that we hate. Not other people, but that we hate sin. God himself says, I loathe sin, says the Lord. And so, in order to truly have contrition, well, we must hate the deed that we have done and the disorder that it created in our souls that separates us from God, our neighbors, and even ourself. But not only should we hate sin, we should also have a firm purpose of amendment, meaning my will is strong and I have decided with God's grace that I will never do this again. I hate sin, I love virtue. Oh God, with your help, I can keep this faith until death. Reflecting on the Baltimore Catechism, I'm Dominican Father Ezra Sullivan. The Sunrise Morning Show continues. It is the Feast of St. Nicholas. Pray for us. Check your shoes if that's the kind of thing that happens in your house. It happened in mine. I'll tell you more about that and uh, how it shook down in my house here in just a little bit. Gary Zimak now joining us from followingthetruth.com. We've been looking at various Bible verses that help us get better into the uh, mindset, the headspace, as it were, of Advent. Gary, good morning. Good morning, Matt. So we get to talk about a verse that I bet you a lot of people listening right now have memorized. It may be one of the most famous Bible verses, maybe the most famous Bible verse in the whole wide world. Which one are we on? Yeah, you know, Matt. For, before I before I tell you the verse, I, I looked this up, and I think this is documented as being the most popular verse in all of the Bible, John three sixteen. And you know, Matt, I, I can't believe that we're discussing it because this is such a popular and common verse. Everybody knows it. But as I prayed about what to talk about today, this is the one that came to me: John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now we're in the Advent season. We're looking forward to the coming of the Lord more deeply into our lives. That's what we're trying to do. We're trying to make some room for him. And this is a perfect verse to remind us of the fact that God loves us so much that he doesn't want to leave us in our misery. And, you know, that's, that filters down to an individual level. I, I talk a lot about overcoming anxiety and the struggles and the burdens of life. God loves me so much that he sent his son into the world to help me, to pull me out of the mess, to pull me out of the worry and the anxiety, and ultimately to redeem me on the cross so that I can spend eternity with him in heaven. But, Matt, you know, I think the, the, one, the, the one aspect of this verse that really hits me, especially as we look to maybe purify ourselves during Advent, maybe clean up some things so that Jesus can have more room to live and work in us, this idea of love. Love, love results or should result in some form of generosity. God so loved the world that He gave His Son. And as I look at myself, I realize 
maybe I need to be a little more generous with my time, with my talent, with my treasure in helping other people experience the love of God. This is just a great verse. It really is. And, you know, God really, I mean, he built a, a case for this and pointed us towards this throughout salvation history about how this might work when he asked Abraham to give his only begotten, you know, son, yeah. <laughs> right, yeah. on uh, Mount Moriah. And it didn't end up working out that way. Instead, God stepped in and offered another sacrifice. And in, in a lot of ways, that's what happens with the, the cross, is that Jesus uh, steps in for us and lays down his life so that we, so that we may live. Uh, but, you know, another aspect of this, too, is as we look at John 3.16 through the light of Advent, is that, you know, Jesus could have just sort of materialized at age 30 and started blasting on Pharisees. Uh, but instead, he enters as a baby in these humble circumstances. And it is love that sort of helps open up that reality of, of why he might do something like that. If all God is doing is sending his only son to correct us and to tell us what we're doing wrong, <laughs> it's a very different kind of picture. But if he sends his son to us because he so loves the world, then that uh, that merits reflection. Yeah, it, it really does. It, 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 and, and that's an important, you know, you, you touched on something that really uh, hit a nerve with me, as, as you mentioned it, this idea of the fact that it took time for Jesus to grow from an infant to an adult, to go into his public ministry. And when we look at so many of the Old Testament readings throughout Advent here, so many of the Old Testament readings talking about the uh, waiting for the Messiah. The people were in misery, but they were waiting for him to come. And, and I think that it reminds all of us. And, you know, I'm going through a few things right now where I just wish God would fix them quickly. It reminds all of us that he's got his own schedule. And, you know, Advent is a season of expectant waiting. It's We were waiting for the Lord to come and and, and come into us and, you know, work in our lives. But the idea of expected waiting, we expect something to happen. We're waiting with hope. It's not just, well, I hope in the secular sense, I cross my fingers, something's going to happen. No, we know that Jesus will come. He will get more involved in our lives. But sometimes that involves waiting. It's a process. And, um, you, you know, I think one of the greatest virtues that we can practice is patience when it comes to our problems, our struggles, our our, our trials in life, God's going to intervene in some way, but 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 often it takes time. That's at least what He's done throughout history. Well, I find it interesting too the context of this verse, John three. Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, a Pharisee, in the middle of the night who doesn't want to get in trouble for looking like his buddies with Jesus. I mean, it's a very fascinating thing that happens. Uh, you know that there's this Pharisee who's completely. Uh, taken with what Jesus is doing. Uh, Nicodemus will even be there to bury Jesus after his crucifixion. But it's notable that this verse comes a long time before his crucifixion. We read this with the knowledge of the death and resurrection of Jesus, that he gave his only begotten son that we might believe. But Nicodemus hasn't seen that part of the picture when Jesus tells him this verse in real time. He just is basically given a, uh, a message that he needs to trust, that Jesus is here to do something big. Yeah, and that's that's so important, because I know somebody listening today is going through something that just looks hopeless. You know, I think we all we all are facing, maybe we have an intention we've been praying for for years, and we don't see any sign of hope. Maybe it's just looking like, well, this is never going to work, or I don't know how the Lord can bring good out of the mess that I'm in right now. 
This is a perfect example. You're right. Nicodemus didn't know how this was going to play out, but he was asked to trust. He was given the information, and I think a lot of times in our own lives, if we look back in hindsight, we see more clearly how God was working even when it didn't seem like he was. So I, I don't know. This just fits in nicely with this whole Advent theme of waiting uh, with hope and, and, and not always having all the answers. You know, we don't need to know all the answers. We need to trust the one who has all the answers. Well, and to realize the generosity of the Father to give the Son, uh, you know, I I can't help but you know, sort of be a little convicted by this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. What has my love compelled me to give? One distracted exactly. hour on a Sunday? <laughs> I mean, yeah, exactly. it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a poor part uh, for me when I think about what I have done in response to that generosity of the Father. Yeah, and, and that's why this is so beautiful. It's such a great reflection during Advent, because this is the time when I'm looking internally at myself and, and asking, am I reflecting the love of the Father? Is there anything I can clean up to let Jesus work more fully in me? Well, one of the things is maybe a lack of generosity, which flows from love. If I really say I love God, then I should be generous with my time, with my material uh, wealth and, you know, any, and my, my talent. Am I helping others? Am I living out that in my life? And that's something that when I read this, I realize i got some work to do, but it's the beautiful thing about Advent. This gives me the time to do that work, to prepare for Jesus. Well, and even people who wouldn't say the name of Jesus uh, you know, on television or whatever seem to get—there's there, some—by extension, they sort of understand this. We see this in, of course, the Feast of St. Nicholas, which we celebrate today, and all kinds of people who do nothing in regard to Jesus do plenty in regard to Santa, <laughs> right? And, right, right. Uh, and are very inspired by that generosity. But even, too, like, I mean, you watch— all, all kinds of, you know, the Salvation Army's in all these football games and such. <laughs> you know, people are like, yeah. I should be more generous. I should do a food drive. I should give coats for kids. I should do all these things. Uh, I think that I think that we get it, and uh, I think it's important to know where that impulse is coming from. It's coming from Christ, and to go meet it at the source. Uh, so, Gary Zimak, thank you for your time this morning. Thanks for helping us unpack a verse that everybody knows, but we don't always think about. You got it, Matt. Thanks so much for having me. God bless you, my friend. Of course, followingthetruth.com, linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Go check out Gary's stuff and uh, tell him where you heard about him. 14 till. We're back with headlines right after this. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. The Christmas Means Life campaign encourages you to add another person to your Christmas list, the baby Jesus, as represented by women and children in need by making a donation to your local pregnancy center. Another option is to support the JP2 Life Center, committed to saving lives with free pregnancy help services, holistic OBGYN care, and education programs. Find out more at jpiilifecenter.org. That's jpiilifecenter.org. Because Christmas means life. 
Got a coffee lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Hi friends, Janet Williams here. Join me every Wednesday on Women of Grace Live as I welcome new age researcher and blogger for Women of Grace, Sue Brinkman. Sue and I will be talking about all the wacky things that could distract you from your faith. Psychics, yoga, Reiki, crystals, acupuncture, Ouija boards, tarot cards, and astral traveling are just a few of the stranger things we discuss. That's why we call it Wacky Wednesday. So join us at 11 a.m. Eastern on EWTN Radio. 12 Till, here's Anna with headlines. The U.S. is imposing visa bans now on people involved in violence in the West Bank. Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville has lifted his hold on some military promotions despite no change in the Pentagon's abortion travel policy. And Pope Francis will offer a golden rose to Our Lady to mark the Feast of the Immaculate Conception on Friday. Make your Speaking plans gold, for Mass today. What's that? For Friday. Holy oh, Day of Friday. Obligation. Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Just, I was just Friday. saying, like, keep that in the back of your mind. Make a schedule. Go, to... Go on Thursday night if you need to. Yeah, if you need to. But there there's an option near you. Mm-hmm. So speaking of golden things, Anna Mitchell, I don't know what happened in your house, but I, I got a visit from saying I actually brought up the coinage. Those oh, neat. The oh, you got some. see. All the, Ooh, wow, you all are the golden. laden well, it's not with real gold. gold. It's chocolate wrapped in gold. Nice. I even So St. Nicholas somehow, and I don't even know how he did this, apparently he stopped by uh, the graders in the Cincinnati Northern Kentucky Airport and even what? got like, a coin from them. You so, got graders coins? So wow. uh, Tom Price uh, down at EWT, and I know, would be very, very jealous of this. That's incredible. Uh, but did yes, you get Nicholas, some ice cream while you were there? I... I actually did, yes. Nice, nice. Uh, I'm not going to admit all the things that I got down there because there's still more <laughs> holidays to come. Uh, but so cool. yeah, we got we got a few little things, a few little things in the shoe. Cool. Of course, this cool. goes back to the um, the story of Saint Nicholas uh, finding some uh, women who were unable to afford a dowry, and so in the middle of the night, as the legend goes, he threw some gold bags into the house, uh, and they landed in the socks, which are drying near the fire, and the 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 legend explodes from there uh, through Coca Cola and everything else, but mm-hmm. we know that Saint Nicholas is a real live saint, yeah. a real live guy who actually lived and was present at the Council of Nicaea. And uh, here's a story that you might actually not know about Saint Nicholas Anna Mitchell. Okay, is that uh, he's involved in this controversy, uh, and the question is: Is Jesus someone who is similar to the Father? Mm-hmm. Or is he of the same substance as the Father? Consubstantial, if you will. Exactly. That's where the Council of Nicaea comes down, is that Jesus is one in substance with the Father. He's not made out of something similar to the Father. He's not just like him. He is him, right? Yeah. He, is, he and the Father are, are truly one. one. Now, in uh, As he said in John 17. As he said in John 17. In the Latin, it comes across as consubstantialum patri, right? consubstantial with the father but the word in greek 
is homoousios, uh, which it's kind of weird because the word for the heretical expression of that is homoousios. Mm-hmm. So St. Nicholas difference. would say it's what it's really one letter of difference in the middle of a big Greek word. So St. Nicholas would say Jesus is not homoousios, he's homoousios. Mm-hmm. He's not like the Father. He's he is. one in one in uh, being with the Father. He's consubstantial with the Father. But St. Nicholas, over time, got exhausted of having to explain this. He kept on saying, homoousios is bad, homoousios is good. So he just started to kind of like abbreviate it just to the first syllables, ho-ho. And that's why... Actually, that's not why. I was seeing how long I could string you along on that. But... I kind of like that theory. You kind of like that theory. I kind of, I kind of appreciate that theory. That's good. I was just thinking about it this morning. It's not real. Don't please don't go tell people that that's actual history. Wouldn't it be funny if that legend just started to build now? And then people are like, like, did they, you know? They can trace it back to December sixth, twenty twenty three, when Matt Swaim on I the Sunrise Morning Show that... just uncovered the truth of ho 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 ho. Homoousios. There like you it. go. But wow, wow. We know that's that's something that I made up this morning while I was, you know, shower thoughts. Yeah, this is how rumors go. It's going to end up on Wikipedia, and then it it's, is, and then it's the truth. From and here once it's on, on out, Wikipedia, it's true. It's true. Well, as Gary was pointing out last hour, uh, it is interesting that of all the saints that have really picked up steam. And have like this broader cultural impact that St. Nicholas is is by far at the top of the list. Of course, mm-hmm. the Virgin Mary is numero uno of as course. one of the most recognizable Catholic saints. The most recognizable Catholic saint. You've got St. Patrick and Francis of Assisi. But Nicholas is right up there. Yeah. And it is amazing to me how he has become uh, just synonymous with generosity in Western yeah. civilization. And, you know, I mentioned the homoousios thing because I... I know there's been a resurgence in people being kind of like amused by the fact that he slapped Arius, mm-hmm. the heretic, at the Council of Nicaea. Yeah. And uh, I am also sort of amused by that. But uh, I love the memes. As, as the I saying talk about goes, this, we have a special yeah. extended edition of the Sunrise Morning Show for our pledge drive today. And oh, yeah. uh, I've got an interview that I'll be sharing with Mike Aquilina. I was talking about my favorite St. Nicholas meme, meme you know, um, the uh, I've. I come to give presents and punch heretics, and I'm all out of presents. Of course. You know, the um, you got to love that. But, yeah, I think in this day and age, it is so much more important to think about and focus on the generosity and the charity of St. Nicholas. You know, I used to roll my eyes at um, at at the way that that – the the whole Santa Claus consumerism thing kind of overshadows the real Saint Nicholas, who was a defender of orthodoxy, and and I think that that's such an important thing, especially as we're as you and I are are thinking about the legacy of Catholic Radio and and what we do to defend the Church and and to and to be a, a defender of orthodoxy, but. Conversions happen because of generosity, because of charity. And I think it's so cool, actually, that the even even with the consumerism that that has has really overtaken our society, that St. Nicholas is the man that that we see 
and 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 that spirit of generosity comes through in this season when we celebrate his feast day and well it's so important for our Christian faith to not just focus on it. You can have the truth in spades, but if you don't have the charity of Christ, what good is it? Well, there's an old saying that goes that, that you can go to hell imitating the vices of the saints. <laughs> yeah. right? Uh, and I think that probably if you ask St. Nicholas after the fact, he's probably like, yeah, I got a little out of control there. I probably shouldn't have done that. Mm-hmm. And it didn't change Arius's mind either. Uh but I will say this, that everybody wants to be St. Nicholas when it comes to punching heretics. Nobody wants to be St. Nicholas when, when it, comes it comes to giving it. secretly with absolutely no recognition. Yeah. So take throwing the St. Nicholas challenge gold. today. Yeah, throwing all your gold into a window and doing and it in secret. And give in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you as Jesus says. Amen. So be generous to all the wonderful people in your life and do so on the quiet today. That wraps it up for the Sunrise Morning Show for our EWTN audience, at least live. We've got a a best of the Sunrise Morning Show coming up after the break with lots of great stuff on St. Nicholas. Rita Heikenfeld has a chocolate coin recipe for you for the feast day. Uh, We'll be in a pledge drive with our local audience, so so you can feel free to help out with that at sunrisemorningshow.com. Click the donate button. Back again tomorrow. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace. Hear God's word. Let us pray. The sunrise morning show. And a way to start your day. Let's begin this hour of the sunrise morning show with a prayer asking for the intercession of Saint Nicholas. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. O good Saint Nicholas, patron of children, sailors, and the helpless, watch over those who pray to Jesus, your Lord and theirs, as well as over those who humble themselves before you. Bring us all in reverence to the Holy Child of Bethlehem, where true joy and peace are found. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. And glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. Good morning, and welcome to this special edition, the best of the Sunrise Morning Show. I'm Anna Mitchell, and alongside Matt Swain, we're heading to the archives today to share with you some of our favorite Advent interviews. Hope you can stick around and enjoy the entire hour ahead. We'll get started right now at two minutes past the hour. Matt? December is chock full of feast days, and normally everybody associates St. Nicholas with Christmas Day, but his feast is actually December 6th. We're going to talk more about kind of the myths, misunderstandings, legends, and who the real St. Nicholas is and was with Rita Heikenfeld from AboutEating.com this morning. Rita, good morning. Well, good morning, Matt. Well, I think the first thing that I didn't realize growing up, I thought St. Nicholas was from somewhere in Scandinavia. turns out he's actually from the Mediterranean Basin. 
Yeah, you know, and, and that's because um, when uh, the settlers came over here, especially the Dutch, they carried on the tradition of St. Nicholas. But you know what? You're right. He was born in, in Greece, and it was a particular section of Greece that back then was Greece, but it's now a part of Turkey. And he came from really rich parents, and they died when he was really young. But the good thing is they taught him really good Christian values, and they left him with a huge inheritance. So what he did, because of those values, he used his whole inheritance to help the needy, the sick, and and even the suffering. And here's what he did. Each night he would disguise himself and deliver, like, food and clothing and even money to the people of his village where he lived. But out of all the townspeople, Matt, he felt a real close bond with one specific family. And this was the reason. The family had lost all their money. The father needed to support his three girls. They couldn't find husbands because of their poverty, because in those days, if you didn't have a dowry, you you couldn't marry. So when Nicholas heard about this, he anonymously took a bag of gold coins, and then he just threw it in an open window of the man's house during the night. And the legend is that it landed in a pair of shoes or socks that were left by the fire to dry. And then what happened, he gave not only one daughter, but the other two daughters enough gold for their dowries, too. And this is what led to the custom of kids, little ones, hanging stockings or putting out shoes, awaiting their gifts from St. Nicholas. So that's where it all started. And if that's the way he was behaving, you know, helping people who, you know, were uh, experiencing hard times financially, uh, looking out after the poor, uh, you can see how he was recognized for his sanctity and is now considered a saint in the church. Yeah, because you're right. Just the story of of his miracles and and his um, just unending work for the poor did eventually lead him to the status of a saint. And and back then, and even now, he's known as a protector of children, among other things like sailors and woodworkers and just a bunch of other people. And the reason we honor him um, on his feast day with simple gifts put in stockings is just because of that, because he helped the poor. And, you know, at the beginning of Advent, uh, we celebrate his feast day on December 6th, and we um, always fill the stockings with little gifts. And we also put in um, some fruit, a pomegranate, because that's what, how I grew up. And um, when we were kids, we didn't have the fancy stockings. We just put our regular socks on the bedpost. And I always remember hoping that I had like a, a big sock, you know, just so that I could hang and get lots of goodies. Um, but now the tradition is we have little fancy stockings that people make and put them on the mantle. But, you know, some European people still put shoes by their beds in hopes that St. Nick will fill them with goodies. And so what do you do at your house for your little well, ones? I, you know, I can tell you this because they're not listening. Um Right now, I know that for a fact because one of them's getting breakfast and one of them's driving to school. But uh, this year, we're gonna put uh, indoor slipper socks, you know, the kind of comfy kind that you can lounge around the house in, into the actual shoes sitting outside the doorway. So we're gonna get actual socks for the feast of Saint Nicholas this year, Rita. Very good, very good. And then you can tell them the story too. That's very yes, cool. Of course. All right, so now some people actually also have a tradition of doing a special good deed for somebody uh, in secret on the Feast of St. Nicholas. Yeah, and you're right. The key word is secret. Um, you've got to do it in private. And and what we used to tell our kids, and, and I still do this today, I always think, gosh, is there somebody in the neighborhood 
Um, if there's snow that might need the snow removed from their sidewalk, do it, but don't let them know about it. Somebody, there's always somebody we know who needs some food to eat. And even if uh, they don't, it's fun to like leave a bag of food or a treat on their, you know, on their doorknob or if you can hang it on the doorknob or put it on their porch. So there's lots of things you can do along with getting your stocking filled. Uh, the good deed is a very good part of St. Nicholas. And again, like you said, it should be a private one. Yeah, something as simple, maybe if you know a parent, uh, you know, a, a young family who never gets to actually go out of the house and go out to eat, maybe just slip a gift card to a nice restaurant in their mailbox or just do something simple, nice. And again, the key is secret because St. Nicholas, he rolled around and, you know, he he traveled under the cover of night to do his good deeds. Um, now, I love having gold chocolate coins in my stocking, not because they're particularly delicious, but because they're particularly cool to have. And you've got a recipe for making chocolate coins at home. Yeah, um, and you know, you're right. We, uh, you can always buy the little gold coins to put in the, in the stockings, and the kids really love that. But if you want to make them at home, it's real easy, and I'll have the recipe on my site, uh, the complete recipe on abouteating.com. But what you do is you just take a couple cups of chocolate wafers or even, you know, chocolate morsels, and you melt them. And here's the key when you're melting chocolate, whether it's in the microwave or on top of the stove. Pull it off the heat when almost all the chips or the wafers are melted. Don't wait until they're all melted because then it could seize. It gets too hot. And you take it off the heat, and then you just stir it until it's all smooth. And then there's a couple techniques you can do. Um, We spray um, the little mini muffin pans, the little mini muffin tins, and I'll just drop a spoonful of the melted chocolate in there and sort of swirl it around. Um, And you don't want to get it real thick. Just a little bit, you know, just drop a, a... enough to make a nice coin shape. Um, Or you can just take a teaspoon or a scoop and then just put, um, you know, a a teaspoonful on a parchment-lined sheet pan or a foil-lined pan that you've sprayed. And you just take the back of the spoon and, you you know, you create a little circle with it. And then I like to have the kids sprinkle it with um, some gold sugar, you know, the sprinkles. And if you do that, you want to do that before the chocolate starts to harden. But the fun thing is um, you can tell the story again. And then when you're doing the good deed, um, if you want to leave a card so that they do know who did it, um, and nice and be nice and surprised when they open their treat, <clears throat> like the neighbor, you can sort of tell them why you did it, too, that, you know, we honor St. Nicholas by doing this. So lots of ways to honor this saint and um, also to have let the kids have really a lot of fun with it. A lot of cool ideas and a lot of cool feast days in December, uh, Rita Heikenfeld. Of course, we've got St. Lucy. Uh, you know, we've also got the Immaculate Conception, and we've got Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I always try and have a good Mexican feast, a homemade Mexican feast on the Feast of Our Lady of Guadalupe. So maybe I'll have to shoot you some recipes as um, we on, approach on that, that feast day, day as well. Yeah. Well, in the meantime, thank you so much for your time. If our listeners want to connect with you, get some of your recipes, or perhaps pass along a a recipe of their own to you, because I know you collect such things from listeners, how do we get in touch? Oh, absolutely. Love uh, recipes that are shared. It's abouteating.com. I'm Matt Swaim. Thanks for listening to the best of the Sunrise Morning Show. We'll be right back. I have been a school sister of Notre Dame for 72 years. Most senior Catholic sisters, brothers, and religious order priests serve for years with little pay. I always taught the primary grades, and I loved it. Today, hundreds of religious communities lack retirement funds. Your gift to the Retirement Fund for Religious helps provide medications and care. Please give to those who have given a lifetime. 
Thank you, and God bless you a hundredfold. Donate at your local parish. Support for the Sunrise Morning Show is from Visiting Angels. Visiting Angels provides experienced, compassionate care to millions of aging adults nationwide by keeping them safe and healthy in the comfort of their own home. Whether it's a short break for caregivers or for long-term assistance, Visiting Angels provides hygiene, meals, light housework, companionship, and more. And services are available up to 24 hours per day. Visiting Angels, online at visitingangels.com. That's visitingangels.com. Franchise opportunities available. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. He is honored by the church as one of the most learned bishops in church history. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Isidore of Seville came from a holy family. His three siblings are also saints. He succeeded his brother as Bishop of Seville in 600 and used diocesan councils to build a Christian culture in Spain. He is said to have known the sum total of all learning of his age. He died in 636 and was named a doctor in 1722. To find out more, visit EWTN.com and click on Catholicism. Back with us now on the Sunrise Morning Show is Amy Wellborn. You can find her excellent blog, Charlotte Was Both, over at her website, along with her books at amywellborn.com. Good morning, Amy. Good morning. How are you doing? I am doing fine and always excited to get to talk to you. And uh, you've written a piece over at your blog about the scripture readings during Advent. And in there, there was, you had a line that, that really struck me that, that I'm hoping that we can talk about this morning. You said it's important to teach children to read Scripture with the heart of the Church. What does that mean, first of all? Well, it means that the Church is the Church that produces the Scripture um, that has over the centuries. It's God has worked through the Church to safeguard His revelation. And over 2,000 years, the Church has, through various means, has utilized the Scriptures and has brought the Scriptures to us, to the people, to the world, not just as, you know, kind of discrete passages that are shot out there into the world, but in a bigger context. Um, And in that blog post, I was talking about the context of Advent, so that as Catholics, you know, we read the Scripture, yes, for our personal, um, you know, inspiration, for our, um, to deepen our relationship with God, but at the same time, we all, we don't read them as, you know, just individual people sitting here in the 21st century mm-hmm. trying to get what we can out of it. Um, we read them with the mind of the Church, and it seems to me you know, and that's, you know, a challenging thing. You know, how do you do that with a child? Right. <laughs> you know, <laughs> so um, it's been part of my, my mission, part of what I do is to try to figure out how to help people do that. Yeah, you have any number of books for children um, and, and the scripture. You've got a new one from Ascension Press out recently, mm-hmm. for instance, and, and many from, from the Loyola Kids series as well, one that you, that you feature in this particular blog post. 
Can you just talk about Advent and the themes that we see in Scripture and and just sort of, I mean, not water it down, what's the word, boil it down um, in a way that, that a child could understand? Well, you know, Advent, of course, is preparation for Christmas, and that was what that would be what we would highlight for a child. But what does that mean? It means that we're preparing for the coming of Christ, for the coming of the baby Jesus, if you're talking to a little child. Um, we're preparing for the coming of Christ. So what does that mean? And as, as your listeners well know, during Advent, we speak about three comings of Christ in the past, in the present, and the future. And I think it's striking, you know, some of the other reading I've been doing over the past couple of weeks has really emphasized the present aspect, the present aspect of that coming, in that, you know, as we begin our journey through the liturgical year, which is what we're doing in Advent, what we're doing is preparing to make a journey with Jesus, and we're preparing to walk through his life with him, accompanied by him. So, of course, we begin with the joyful affirmation that he's here with us, that it's possible to make this walk because he's here with us, uh, present in our lives and present in every aspect of our lives. And that's why the scriptures, for example, that, like the gospel, in which Jesus warns us to be awake, right, and to be alert and look at the signs, um, are so applicable here, you know, and even to a child, is that we, you know, invite the child to look at his or her life and look for Jesus and take, you know, celebrate Jesus and be, um, let's say, chastened by Jesus when need be, <laughs> as all mm-hmm. of us are, but to always look for those signs of Jesus' presence now as we get ready to journey with him through the rest of the liturgical year. And boy, what a what a lesson to teach them when we're in this, you know, shopping season, right? When they're being bombarded right. with with all kinds of, of flashy things that they that they must get, they need, right? All all of these things that, that the world is is telling us are necessary. And yet what is the only thing necessary? Jesus. That's right. And also, I think that even, you know, children um, are susceptible right now and are perhaps, depending on where they live and what their circumstances are, to fear. You know, we've been dealing with pandemic. You know, you think about a small child, that could have been like a third of their life, you know, maybe more. They have been warned, constantly warned, be careful. You know, you could be a vector. You could, you know, make grandma sick. You could, um, you know, you need to do this. You And surrounded by these signs. And so to look in the midst of all that for the comforting signs of Jesus, for hope that, no, this is not all there is. And there is, you know, even in the midst of all of this, which is, a reason for fear, perhaps, and then with the false promises, as you pointed out, of the you know the shiny shininess and the commercialization. No, we actually have a reason for hope in all of this, and it's Jesus Christ. And so, and and the scriptures speak of this constantly. You know, the scriptures. You know, when we look at the scriptures with the eyes of the church, what we see is this 
played out over and over and over through salvation history. We hear the yearnings and the questions and the fears of ancient peoples, of the people of God through all time. And we see that God was listening, and God answers, and God sends the Messiah in response. And so we, you know, when I say to read the scriptures, you know, with the heart of the church, that's what I mean, is that we're a part of a bigger story. And in a way, it's a scary story because it's life on earth and we're not in heaven. But in a way, it must be an ultimately hopeful story uh, and because we look to that final come, the coming of Jesus in our world today and then the final coming at the end of time. And so, you know, to teach a child to live this way, you know, to, to give them the gift of living in this cycle of salvation history and to understand that they are not alone, that they are not alone for two reasons. They are not alone because they are part of the people of God that have been walking this walk for centuries, and they're not alone because Christ is with us now. God has answered our cries. And so, you know, we read the scriptures with the church, We, you know, and we don't do it just on Sunday. We do it every day because, of course, the readings that the Church gives us are thematic on this line, you know, starting with the prophets and then John the Baptist and then the proximate signs of, you know, Jesus coming in the life of Mary. We're on that path. We're sending up our cries with the people of God, and we're receiving the gift of hope from God with them, too. So beautifully put. And uh, you can find Amy Wellborn's children's books. She uh, specifically highlights Loyola Kids' book of Bible stories, 60 scripture stories every Catholic child should know, which takes you through the liturgical year. So you can actually just look up Advent and then Christmas and then ordinary time and so on and so forth. And that's all at her website, amywellborn.com, which is linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Amy, thank you so much. Thank you. Appreciate it. It really was a pleasure. And I want to encourage all of you listeners to head over to sunrisemorningshow.com. That's S-O-N risemorningshow.com. Because in our show notes, you can find a wealth of information, including the pictures of our guests and their bios and all the links to be able to connect with them and pick up their books or find the resources that they're offering. And also, once the show goes off the air for the day, we put up our podcast right there in the show notes with little markers so that you can go back and revisit or perhaps share an interview with a family member or friend who you think would benefit from listening. That's sonrisemorningshow.com. You're listening to the best of the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 21 minutes past the hour. Got a coffee lover on your Christmas list this year? Give them the gift of Mystic Monk Coffee. The Carmelite Monks of Wyoming have a number of seasonal blends that would make for a great Christmas morning brew. And when you purchase it, after clicking the Mystic Monk link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you support the monks and the show. If your coffee lover is also a fan of the Sunrise Morning Show, pick up a mug or travel mug for them in our online store. Get a mug and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. This is Father Stephen Alcott from St. Gertrude Parish in Madeira. St. Bernard's Prayer to the Virgin Mary. Maiden and Mother, daughter of thine own Son, beyond all creatures lowly and lifted high, of the eternal design, the cornerstone, thou art she who did man's substance glorify, so that its own maker did not eschew even to be made of its mortality. Within thy womb, 
the love was kindled new by generation of whose warmth supreme this flower to bloom in peace eternal grew. Here thou to us art the full noonday beam of love revealed. Below, to mortal sight, hope that forever springs in living stream. Lady, thou art so great and hast such might that whoso crave grace, nor to thee repair, their longing even without wing seeketh flight. Thy charity doth not only him upbear who prays, but in thy bounty's large excess, thou oftentimes dost even forerun the prayer. In thee is pity, in thee tenderness, in thee magnificence, in thee the sum of all that in creation most can bless. For Sacred Heart Radio, this is Father Stephen Alcott. Monsignor Charles Pope is online at monsignorpope.com. Also, blog.adw.org is where you can find all of his blog posts, and they are excellent. Good morning, Monsignor Pope. Good morning. So throughout the Advent season, we hear from the prophets, primarily Isaiah, but other Old Testament books as well. What is the general theme of all of those readings? Well, there's a number of them, but the main one is, is a longing, uh, a realization that, that we've made a mess of things down here, and we need we need a savior. We need someone to to save us, and um, so there's um, that. That's always going to be the main theme, and in a way, in in Advent, we step back into that, um, into, you know, into that Old Testament longing. Even though Christ has come, still we um, we, we we step back, if you will, and long with them. Yeah, I was going to ask you that, because obviously we have Christmas, the Feast of the Nativity, when we celebrate the coming of the Messiah. We know that he has arrived. So why do we go through these cries from ancient Israel? Well, I think because, again, uh, human nature, although we have been redeemed and and grace is now available to us, human nature still begins um, and and is is unchanged from Adam and Eve. And that is to say, we, we, in our our fallen condition, still struggle with the old Adam and... um, we're, we're we're asking for the new Adam, Christ, to to take to take that old Adam away. But it's a process. So, in a way, although we live New Testament lives and grace is available, how we appropriate that grace and how we get there is in stages. And um, well, I always like to say, I'm not what I want to be, but I'm not what I used to be. <laughs> so there's something in process. We're 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 wayfaring. We're 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 around the way, but we're not there yet. Do we need to remember, too, that as we celebrate the first coming of our Savior, we, kind of like ancient Israel, are also looking forward to the coming of the Messiah. It's just his second coming. Yeah, and of course, that's the, the main theme, especially in the first two weeks of Advent, uh, in the Sunday readings, that is to say that um, we're, we're talking more about his, um, his second coming uh, in glory, uh, warnings about being ready. Uh, Jesus, you know, in the, in the Gospel last Sunday, he says, I say to you all, watch, watch. I, you know, he'll come when you least expect. So these are the types of things. One of the things a lot of people don't know and is that the Dies Irae, which was uh, sung commonly in funeral masses before the uh, changes in the liturgy, uh, was actually written as a hymn for the second Sunday of Advent. Uh, by Thomas Solano, so it's um, it's one of those um, uh, you know it, it it talks very vividly about the second coming. And you know he came rather humbly 
the first time around as an infant in a manger. How will the Messiah return the second time? His coming will be sudden, and it will be um, something that will certainly rock us back on our heels. <laughs> he will come amid the clouds, uh, seated on, the, on a throne, and uh, he will be accompanied by his angels, and there will be a trumpet blast, and there will indeed be, um, well, let's just say everyone will have, uh, he, 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 he will have everyone's attention. <laughs> How do the readings for this season point to our need for a Savior? Well, um, particularly in the first week of Advent, uh, they, 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 they kind of just lay out uh, our condition. You know, I I mean, I'm amazed, you know, at the opening lines of the book of the prophet Isaiah, you know, where we're told to get in touch with our wickedness and the sons I have raised, but they have disowned me. You know, the ox knows its owner and the, and the, uh, and the donkey, it's his master's stall, but my people do not know me, says the Lord. And that's why we put the the, uh, the 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 donkey and the oxen in our in our creatures. I mean, to ourselves, <laughs> we, mm-hmm. we, we we're messed up. Our minds are messed up. We 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 run after all kinds of stuff that can't save, and it actually causes us harm. And um, we're 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 all over God's green acre, except that we're not acknowledging God. So it, we're, our condition is is poor, and there are any number of you know other you know I think passages. I don't know if you want to read them, but many of them almost uh, humorously, even at times, poke fun you know, in our sinfulness, but uh, um, he says, I, I reared children, you know, again, that's from the Isaiah text, but mm-hmm. there's uh, so many other texts um, that, that speak to this. For example, um, uh, from later in Isaiah, all of us have become like one who's unclean, all of our rights, even our righteous acts are like filthy rags. No, no one calls on your name, Lord. Oh, that you would rend the heavens, you know, and just come down, you see, and help us in our condition. Yeah, that the mountains would tremble before you. Well, yeah. in, in Mark chapter 1, my favorite song in God's spell, when John the Baptist says, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. How do we do that in our day and age? Well, for, for all of us, you know, if you, if you were, were to read further on, you know, as, um, and quote further on, uh, you know, the, the mountains of pride need to be laid low and the valleys of despair need to be filled in, and we, mean, we need to make a highway for our God. In other words, it's a way of saying we need to open the door. We need to allow him into our life, and we need to let him, let him go, go to work and do the work he needs to do. Like I say, leveling the mountains of pride and filling up the valleys of despair. And uh, we... Um, uh, you know, make a highway uh, for our God, as, as the text goes on to say. So with that in mind, I think, um, again, it's, it's a little bit of the, um, you know, Jesus says, Behold, I stand at the door and I knock, I knock, so if anyone will open for me. So but we, what we do in Advent in terms of preparing is that um, we say, well, uh, oh, my heart, what, what, what needs special attention now? What, what, where am I still wounded? Where am I still struggling? And how do I need to get up and then let the Lord in and prepare prepare a way for him to do the work he needs to do? Because as I say, all of us, you know, still have those things. Maybe we're struggling with anxieties, or uh, we're struggling with particular sins, or we're struggling with anger, or hurt, or fear, or unforgiveness. Um, so to prepare for the way for the Lord is to reflect on those and say, I really need this healing, and then authentically call out for a Savior, not just sing a hymn. Well, we all know that we are sinful, and there are all kinds of things that we struggle with. And if we don't know the day or the hour, I mean, is the second coming something that we should fear? Well, I think as long as we are in calling out on the Lord, Jesus says, no one who calls on me will I reject. So I think as long as we know that 
uh, as long as the Lord hears us calling, and as long as we are uh, daily calling on Him, uh, even if we struggle and we fall commonly back into certain sins, no, we ought not fear the day. We should have a sobriety. But I think that we, and the sobriety would be this, that I, I know I'm not going to enter into heaven in my current unseemly state. Mm-hmm. But as long as I love God and, my, and trying to love my neighbor, and I'm calling on him, um, I'm, uh, he's going to work with me, and he's going to love me. And I may need purgation after I die, uh, but uh, he will do it, and he'll do it in love. But I know I, I must be free of this, but as long as I'm making that journey, we should not have an inordinate fear. We should, as the scripture, I mean, as the liturgy says, look forward with a joyful hope and, and a joy, as, and we call upon him, come, Lord Jesus, come. That said, we don't have to sit around and just wait for it. I mean, we have the opportunity to repent. Right. You know, I think the idea is uh, every now and again you hear about waiting or uh, for the coming of the Lord. But it, this is an act of waiting, Hannah. It's not like we, it's not like waiting for a bus sitting there. Oh, here you you know. But uh, it's an act of waiting, like waiting on tables. And so you notice again in the gospel last Sunday, the Lord said, "I've given you a work to do. Now get about it, so that when I come, I'll find you active and engaged in what I've asked you to do, uh, not just you know sitting around saying, well, he didn't. He's, he's taking his time and coming." So. Um, this idea of watching and waiting is an active thing, not, not a passive uh, thing merely. Monsignor Pope, why do you think we don't often think about Advent as a penitential season? Well, you know, it's interesting, and there's even debate uh, among people whether it really is technically a penitential season. I, as a pastor of souls, I think it is. You know, we're wearing purple vestments, mm-hmm. a sign of royalty, yes, but also a sign of penance. And uh, the, the, um, the the text again often you know call call to mind these things, um, but uh, although the liturgical books don't speak of it as a penitential season, historically it certainly was. It was like a mini Lent. Um, there were many more opportunities in the ancient church, and even until recently, like even Ember days, you might remember them, sure. were at the change of season. Were just mini little days of fast um, and. Um, so anyway, all these are ways of saying that if you go further back in church history, you'll see that people were, again, encouraged to give up things. There was, there was abstinence and other fasting. And even today in the Eastern churches, this is often still done. So all that to say, I think it's not thought of as a penitential season because we haven't emphasized it as such, even in our liturgical tradition. But I think it's important to not leave that entirely behind. Well, going to confession, obviously a good thing to do this time of year, really any time of year, but particularly during Advent. But Monsignor Pope, how else would you suggest we practice penance during Advent? Yeah, well, in my own life, I do take a, 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 a kind of a small thing I give up. For me, I enjoy a glass of wine occasionally. It's not a big deal, but it's just a small thing to give up. So no wine. So send me no mm. wine to make an invitation, is the old song said. How right John the Baptist Advent. of you. Yes, <laughs> indeed. So, um, uh, so I do a small little abstinence, or take on a special little practice, uh, uh, recite a certain, uh, you know, a certain prayer. Uh, that's my that's my take. So you could do that. I wouldn't, you know, make it as expansive as maybe some of the Lenten things, but something small, uh, just to say, Lord, um, I, I tend to enjoy things of this world a little more than I should. I can set this aside, just focus more on you. And save a little money, maybe, you know. And yeah. So all of those are ways of saying that we can do that. Certainly, though, I would strongly encourage uh, Catholics everywhere to look carefully to the readings um, of Advent and perhaps even pray uh, the Office of Readings in addition to the uh, uh, Mass readings. Uh, but get a good copy of Magnificat if necessary. But do some prayerful reflection. Um, 
and uh, really spend that time. And you're going to find that when Christmas Eve comes, your, your mind and heart are so much more prepared for a uh, for for the the announcement today is born our Savior, Christ the Lord. As you write in your post on this. A good Advent sets the stage for a joyful Christmas. This joy is different from the sentimentality about snow, lights, and tinsel. It is a deep, grateful joy that comes from knowing we are loved and have been rescued despite our sin. We've been talking to Monsignor Charles Pope about our need for a Savior this Advent. Monsignor Pope, if listeners want to read your full post, where can they find it? Blog.adw.org blog.adw.org. Monsignor Pope, thanks so much, as always. Thank you. You bet. And you can find all of our guests linked at sunrisemorningshow.com. Click on the show notes, and don't forget on the side of the page to click the subscribe button so you can get our show notes in your inbox every single day before the Sunrise Morning Show begins. We'll be back right after this on the best of the Sunrise Morning Show. It's 35 minutes past the hour. Business owners are starting to think outside the box to find new customers. You can reach millions of engaged Catholic listeners by underwriting the Sunrise Morning Show. Each weekday morning, listeners across the U.S. and around the globe can hear your message for your business, ministry, or nonprofit on the Sunrise Morning Show. To find out how it works, email me, Leah, at sacredheartradio.com. That's Leah at sacredheartradio.com. This is Father Rob Jack from Mount St. Mary Seminary in Cincinnati, Ohio. In this season of Advent, St. Luke also reflects on the important role St. John the Baptist plays as the precursor to Jesus Christ. He is the voice crying out in the wilderness. In paragraph 717 of the Catechism, It's written that there was a man sent by God whose name was John. John was filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb by Christ himself, whom the Virgin Mary had just conceived by the Holy Spirit. Mary's visitation to Elizabeth thus became a visit from God to his people. From this paragraph we see that John the Baptist teaches us self-discipline, quiet prayer, and a deep love for Christ. From these activities he discovered that for Christ to increase, he himself must decrease. His ways must become Christ's ways. His will must become Christ's will, which is the will of the Father. As we prepare to celebrate Christ's birth, let us take the words of John the Baptist to heart. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, may we see Christ's will, not our own. May we see Christ's life, not our own. And may we carry our cross and Christ's cross, that we may experience forever the joy of Christ. Happy to welcome back Dr. Marcellino D'Ambrosio from the Crossroads Initiative, DRItaly.com. He's also a professor with Catholic Distance University online at cdu.edu. Good morning, Doc. Good morning, Anna. So the Gospel readings for the second and third Sundays of Advent feature John the Baptist saying, make straight the path of the Lord. And he's quoting Scripture there, correct? He is quoting Scripture. He's quoting Isaiah 40. And it's kind of his theme. You know, it's his banner. It's his logo. Prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley must be filled in. Every mountain must be made low. 
And this really is the center of Advent. And really, John the Baptist is the key figure of Advent. Really, the birth of Jesus uh, doesn't really come into the story very much in the readings of Advent until the fourth week of Advent. But John the Baptist is with us for the first three weeks, uh, and, and this is the theme. And before we start reflecting on some of the metaphors here, can you give us a sense of the geography? Because Isaiah is actually talking about real places that you can still visit today. Yeah, he absolutely is. And we tend to, when we think about deserts, we tend to think of sand dunes, maybe like the Sahara. But that's not the (laughs) geography of the Holy Land at all. It's really pretty wild out there. The desert starts right over the top of Mount of Olives which is a half a mile high, and that plunges down to almost a half a mile deep at the, at the uh, Dead Sea. You know, it's this crazy landscape of high crags and deep valleys, or they call them wadis. So this is actually the, the, what Isaiah has in mind with John the Baptist. It's actually where John the Baptist lives. He lives in this. So he has a visual of this prophecy of the people coming back from exile but the way is blocked by these mountains. The way is blocked by these just incredible valleys. So there needs to be a straight path made. And, and that's exactly really the, the point here. You know, I, I just want to stop for a second and say, Anna, that in Advent, we're, we're really not pretending that Jesus hasn't come yet. Right. You know, the focus is not really preparing for Jesus' first coming, because that's already happened. Terrible irony is that God began preparing Israel for Jesus coming at the time of Abraham, 1,850 years, 1,850, before Jesus, the Lord starts preparing, and he starts giving them hints in the book of Genesis that the ruler of, of Israel will come from Judah, that a star will arise for Jacob, you know, these images that are fulfilled in Jesus' coming. And Moses starts preparing, the law prepares the people, the prophets are talking about, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. Someone will come and die for the nation. You know, all this stuff is in the Bible. So the Lord's trying to prepare them. But when Jesus comes, what happens? They're not ready. And the people who are least ready are the religious people, Pharisees, who are kind of like a religious renewal movement, the the Sadducees, the leaders of the priestly class, the scribes who are experts in the law. These are the ones who not only don't recognize him, but more than that, worse than that, they crucify him. So... In Advent, what's happening here is the Church is saying, look, he's coming back again. we got to be better prepared this time around. We can't be asleep at the wheel as these guys were. They were asleep at the wheel, absolutely. So that's the whole idea of wake up. Wake up to the presence of the Lord, uh, move those mountains, and fill in those valleys. Yeah, so let's let's look at this in a more figurative sense, because, of course, there is the literal uh, geographical meaning behind it, but... Obviously, there is some great spiritual significance to these ideas that are very relevant to us today, even living in the United States, not in, you know, the Middle East where and, and Israel and, and all of these places where this stuff was happening. Um, so what are the mountains in our lives that need to be laid low? All right. A couple of ideas here. First of all, the biggest mountain uh, is pride. Um Pride is the enemy, and John the Baptist is the greatest one to talk about it because he is the epitome of humility. He leaps for joy in his mother's womb when Jesus shows up, his younger cousin, when he already has a great following. All sorts of people are coming out to see him in the desert. 
his cousin comes and instead of being threatened by his younger cousin, he, he points him out and says, that's the Lamb of God. He says, I'm not the Christ. No, no, don't, don't look at me. Uh, I'm just one in the desert preparing a highway. The one who's to come, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandal strap. You know, this is John the Baptist's humility, um, in the, and the opposite is the case of the, Sarah, the Sadducees and Pharisees. They're threatened by Jesus. Jesus is a competitor. He's taking people's attention away from them. How dare he uh, it possibly correct them? You know, it, that's the mentality. And, you know, this may seem far away from you and from me, but actually, how many times do we exalt ourselves over other people to try to make ourselves important? How many times do we get preoccupied with ourselves? Because pride is, is, is really about being preoccupied with self, and humility is not being down on yourself. It's looking away from yourself. So here in Advent, how do we practically work against pride in our lives? How do we build humility? One is we pray because praying looks away from ourselves, it looks away from our problems, it looks to God, especially prayer of thanks, prayer of praise, and the prayer of humility, which is, Lord, forgive me. Uh, that's something in, in Advent we ought to make sure we're making time for a really good examination of conscience and for the beautiful sacrament of penance. Mm-hmm. And I would encourage people listening here not only to go to the sacrament of penance, but think about inviting someone to come along with you, not nagging them into it, but actually inviting them with excitement mm-hmm. that you love going to confession because it's so liberating. And, hey, would you like to come? Yeah, I know you haven't been in a while, but, you know, don't worry about it. I'll, I'll, I'll show you the words. I, I'll introduce you. I'll bring it to, to a priest who's just really awesome, and yeah, I go to all the time, you know. So a lot of times people haven't gone to confession for a while because they don't know the words. They, you know, they feel uncomfortable because they're, they're unfamiliar with what they ought to do. They don't know the priest, you know, all that kind of stuff. So a lot of times inviting people can often uh, be a breakthrough for them and uh, make it easier for them to go. An excellent point. So lay low the mountain of pride in our lives. What are the valleys in our lives that we need to fill in? A valley is a lack of something. There should be some, some dirt there. There should be some fill there, and there's nothing. We have a lack of meaning in our society, especially as we approach Christmas. All the symbols that are celebrated during Christmas time, actually, they have phenomenal meaning, but no one thinks of them. Um, it's really simple for this to happen. Okay, so really we need to reinvest and recharge the, the various symbols of Advent and Christmas with meaning. And, and a couple of ways to do that, practically speaking. Most people don't know that there are wonderful blessings, official blessing services that are very brief but beautiful with special little scriptures and prayers that are part of Catholic liturgy. And these can actually be presided over by lay people, many of them, especially the ones having to do with consecrating things in the home and blessing things in the home. Like, there's a beautiful blessing in the Book of Blessings for the Advent wreath, for the manger, for the Christmas tree, that help reinvest and, and, and recharge these things with meaning, something we can do together with our spouse, with our family members, whoever we live with. Uh, or, you know, people who are friends who we can invite over and do that, you know, uh, with. And, but it takes like 10 minutes, and they're on DrItaly.com. They're free. If you don't have the Book of Blessings, I encourage everyone to get the, the shorter Book of Blessings. That's an actual book that the Church publishes, and you get it on my website. You can probably get it elsewhere online, and you, your local Catholic bookstore, which I highly recommend. However, you can get it for free on DrItaly.com. You can just go to my site and just... 
typed in the search function, Advent Wreath Blessing, Christmas Tree Blessing, and it pops right up on your phone or on your computer, and there you go. You can lead that service and help fill in the valley, the lack of meaning, for these beautiful little things that we have, that we use in our home to celebrate Advent and Christmas with. You make it so easy for us, Doc. That's awesome. Now, you know, lack of meaning. (laughs) Christmas, of course, is a time of giving and receiving, and that is a good thing. But many lament how commercialized it has become. But how do you see it as an opportunity to bring loved ones closer to the Lord? Well, the gift-giving thing comes from the fact that Jesus is the greatest gift of all, that the wise men brought him gifts, uh, that uh, we are the body of Christ. When we give gifts to each other, we give gifts to the Lord. All that stuff is is there, but we don't think about it very much. And what happens with gift-giving is, first of all, most gifts have nothing to do with Jesus whatsoever. They don't necessarily bring anybody closer to Jesus. Um, secondly, when the gifts are given in a home with kids on Christmas morning, it's like a feeding frenzy under the tree. You know, rip, 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 rip. It's, a, it's you know, crazy. And, uh, and then kids lay exhausted and bored, you know, <laughs> after they mm-hmm. opened all the presents. So th- there's, there's things that we can do to change that, and, and I'm going to suggest a few things. First of all, we've got to think about the gifts we give. Can we possibly choose gifts in many cases for many of the people on our list that will bring those people closer to the Lord, that will actually have something to do with Jesus or connecting them more deeply to Jesus? And some people will say, well, that's okay for two or three of my relatives, you know, uh, because they're religious. But, you know, I have some people who just wouldn't want a religious gift. That wouldn't make them happy at all. Well, first of all, there are some awesome gifts for people who have faith that will enhance their life in the Lord. There's, there's millions of wonderful videos. There's great books. There's CDs. There's, there's you know, religious articles. There's, there's all sorts of things. Um, and some of those you can find in your local Catholic bookstore, I'm sure, and also on DrItaly.com. Okay. How about for the ones who aren't super religious? Well, you've got to be a little crafty here, Anna. You've got to be a little <laughs> sneaky. You know, and, and I like this. There's, yeah, 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 I thought you would. <laughs> there's, there's books and stories and movies that aren't overtly religious, but are, that re- deliver a powerful spiritual message. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to mention one that I recommend. It's on my website, but it, you can get it anywhere because it's, it's a secular book. It's a book about a guy in World War II, an f- interesting kid who was um, a great runner, went to the Olympics, then gets into the war, and um, his bomber goes down in the Pacific. He drifts on a raft for a long period of time, sharks circling, you know, ends up getting captured by the Japanese, brutalized by the Japanese. It's a, it's a story called Unbroken. Mm. Um, bestseller about Louis Zapparini, one of my, one of my paisans. But it's a powerful story that has absolutely no religious significance at the beginning, but at the end, his whole life is transformed by an encounter with Christ that teaches him how to forgive. It's the best of the Sunrise Morning Show. We'll be right back. Support is for MediShare. So right now may be the perfect time for you to rethink how you pay for health care. And here's why. Not only is it open enrollment for a lot of people, it's also a time you can join MediShare and save even more than usual. For many families, switching to MediShare saves about $500 a month, which is a game changer for a lot of people. But what's more, they like it. MediShare has double the member satisfaction rate compared to health insurance. Double. 
MediShare is a proven thing, too. For over 30 years, it's a Christian community of more than 400,000 members. And here's the thing, too. If you join before December 15th and you mention the promo code SHARE, you'll get another $150 savings. So I'll give you the number here in a second, but just call. You'll get a price within two minutes. And remember, the deadline is December 15th. So call now and you'll save even more. Here's the number. 844-55-BIBLE. That's 844-55-BIBLE. 844-55-BIBLE. Are you expecting the kids to wake you up at the crack of dawn on Christmas morning? Make that experience more bearable by treating yourself to some Mystic Monk coffee. They have a number of Christmas blends available, and when you go to Mystic Monk Coffee through the link at sunrisemorningshow.com, you earn us a commission. Make Christmas morning even better by drinking your coffee with a Sunrise Morning Show mug, available in our online store. Browse our mugs and link to Mystic Monk Coffee at sonrisemorningshow.com. That's sunrisemorningshow.com. Get an insider's look at the latest information from EWTN. Sign up for WINGS, EWTN's weekly email newsletter. Get the latest information about live events, special features, and guests. Connect with EWTN on YouTube, Facebook, and Twitter. Just go to EWTN.com and click on the WINGS link to sign up. Don't miss a minute of all that's happening at EWTN. Get your WINGS today. I'm Matt Swaim, joined now by Stephanie Mann, the author of Supremacy and Survival, How Catholics Endured the English Reformation. She's got a great piece up at the National Catholic Register right now about the history of Christmas and uh, how legal authorities in the English-speaking world have handled it over the years. Stephanie, good morning. Right, it's the 17th century war against Christmas. I know it. So today we think of the war against Christmas as being a secular thing. In a lot of uh, the English-speaking world, the war on Christmas, at least in the 17th century, was actually coming from other Christians. That's right. It was the uh, Puritans versus the Catholics and the Anglicans. Of course, I mean, the Catholics were the minority, but the the Anglican minority, the majority Anglicans, in fact, were uh, prevented and forbidden from celebrating Christmas uh, by when the Puritans uh, reigned in England. In fact, during the during the English Civil War, we have this, this contrast of uh, Charles I, the king, moved his court to Oxford. So in Oxford, they had Christmas. In London, they fasted on December 25th, because Parliament had proclaimed a day of fasting. Uh, the Puritans did not like Christmas, one, because they did, they, they kind of had, and I think Catholics hear this today, uh, this idea that Christmas is just a papered-over pagan holiday that Catholics uh, uh, just uh, absorbed uh, the the feast of the sun god and turned it into a day for celebration of, of the birth of Christ of Jesus, and also they didn't like the revelry, they, uh, which sometimes did could result in some uh, people getting a little drunk and having too, maybe too much fun. But they really did have a, a religious, a theological, uh, and biblical. Uh, animus against Christmas, and they thought it was a papist holiday, and so if the Anglicans were celebrating it, they were next door to being papist anyway. Well, it's kind of like the Jehovah's Witnesses uh, who show up at my door sometimes say, one of them once told me, you know, I don't see anywhere in the Bible that Jesus celebrated his birthday, why should I celebrate mine? (laughs) Okay, well then, don't have any fun. (laughs) I know, well, I mean, I feel like this is a cause for celebration. I mean, the incarnation, uh, the birth of our Lord is worth celebrating. Uh, Now, 
There was a movie that recently came out, Stephanie Mann, and I don't know if you had a chance to see it. It was called The Man Who Invented Christmas, and it's a movie about Charles Dickens. Now, that's kind of a presumptuous title because uh, obviously Christmas around long before Dickens and, of course, Francis of Assisi probably invented a lot of what we think of as Christmas today, uh, devotionally speaking. But in what sense did he kind of rescue Christmas? Well, Dickens did revive and, and through the uh, particularly a Christmas Carol. He had other Christmas stories, but a Christmas Carol is the most famous one with uh, Ebenezer Scrooge going through this uh, the Christmas the pa- spirits of Christmas past, present, and future. This whole idea of Christmas as a time of family and feasting and fun and charity. But also Christmas is basically being Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. So in a way, he did kind of reinvent Christmas into what uh, what we think, what we really have now, which is all that preparation that everyone's been going through, the 25 days of Christmas that everyone's been going through since the, December 1st, while we've been celebrating Advent. And then Christmas Day, Christmas ends uh, the evening of, of Christmas on December 25th, and it's over, whereas we have a season that follows after that in the in the church and it, and if you're trying to celebrate it in the catholic way in your home but chesterton i mean chesterton points out in fact that what dickens did was and because he didn't really understand it he kind of adapted all the old english ways the old medieval catholic ways of celebrating christmas but because he really didn't understand the incarnation he didn't understand religion dickens didn't quite fulfill it and so he kind of cuts it off and it, he leaves a big hole and of course one of the holes he leaves is jesus is kind of left out but also the whole celebration of the christmas season is truncated by a christmas carol but still there's a lot of uh description of beautiful foods and people's spirits being high, kind of that magic of Christmas that a lot of people emphasize in many ways today. Well, Stephanie, as you know, I work for the Coming Home Network, and I can't resist a good conversion story, and the Christmas Carol is that. Yes, it is. That's one of the things that Chesterton points out, because he really appreciated Dickens. Dickens was one of his favorite authors. He wrote about him twice, and Chesterton points out that that story is a conversion story. Uh, Dick, uh, Scrooge needs to be converted, and all of us need to be converted from something in some ways. It's, it's like, as you know from the, the Coming Home Network, it, the conversion is a, a journey in itself, and uh, it's just that Scrooge used to do it in, uh, with three magical visits in one night, and it, just in time for Christmas Day, and the, get the turkey to the Cratchits. I, I wonder what Mrs. Cratchit really did when she saw that turkey. Because, <laughs> I mean, that was a huge thing, and it, she was going to have to get it ready. <laughs> no kidding. Well, if you want to read more about Stephanie Mann's history of this, it's well worth checking out. It's at the National Catholic Register. The title of the article is Just Like Narnia, Winter Without Christmas. Stephanie, thank you so much. Have a great day. You too. God bless you. That'll do it for this special edition of the Sunrise Morning Show. Thank you for listening. For Anna Mitchell and Paul Lockman, I'm Matt Swaim. May God bless you and keep you and grant you his peace.